0: It's the beginning of the month, beginning of the year, in fact, and that means it's time to revisit our awards. We're going to do pretty much all of the NBA's official awards for today. We'll save our kind of self-created fun awards for next week. But let's get started with MVP. Last month, I had Giannis Antetokounmpo. Who did you have last month?
1: I believe I had Giannis as well.
0: Okay, well, I'm going to stay consistent, and I still have him, although I think James Harden has made it a pretty close race here.
1: Yeah, I was between, for me, my top three was those two guys and Anthony Davis. Davis has kind of a different case, which we'll get into a little bit later, but I have Giannis number one. And what I started getting into was that he's kind of an amalgamation of the arguments for different players. So his usage rate is similar to LeBron and Steph Curry. Incidentally, Giannis's assist rate is pretty close to James Harden's, which was surprising to me. And it's above Steph Curry's. And Giannis, of course has a much higher defensive value than the offense first guys. You know, if we want to talk about Giannis versus AD in that component, that's something there, but I think Giannis has been superior offensively. And so- that plus, if you want to factor in team success a little bit, that has been the that makes that kind of the, the tiebreaker for me with him is that he he doesn't have the best argument in everything over everybody, but I think his cumulative one is is a little bit better.
0: Yeah, and the advanced stats are in Giannis's favor. I would say at, at this point in time, I want to introduce a, a new metric here. I talked a little bit about this uh, on a previous show. Uh, Jacob Goldstein's player impact plus minus PIPM, and basically what that tries to do is eliminate for luck and where does luck come from well it comes on defense from teams hitting unsustainable numbers of three-pointers against you or even shooting a better percentage at the foul line than would be expected free throw defense it doesn't actually exist and then on offense too it teammates hitting free throws teammates hitting more three-pointers than would be expected Now, that last point, he tries to regress it back to the overall team three-point percentage so that there is some benefit given for players who set up their teammates, for example, for open three-pointers and can help a team's three-point percentage that way. So it's another tool in the toolbox. It's a little bit different from RPM in that it doesn't have the ridge regression where you're controlling for the effect of which teammates you're playing with versus and then also who's on the floor for the other team. So it doesn't have a, that component to it, but I, I think it's another pretty good tool because I think one of the big weaknesses of RPM, for example, I think this is one of his inspirations for coming up with this, but if you look back at Kawhi Leonard's 16-17 season where Spurs opponents just randomly hit 37% of three-pointers when he was on the floor and 29% when he was off the floor, and so that really skewed his numbers a ton. So this tries to adjust for that, and I think it's one of the weak of RPM that it doesn't or perhaps can't uh, adjust for that. So Giannis is number one in the NBA in Goldstein Symmetric. Take you through the top five. 80 is two. Kevin Durant three, Paul George four, and Joel Embiid is five. Giannis about equal on offense and defense by this metric. James Harden number one in offensive PIPM, but his negative one point six six on defense drags him down, so he's only I think eleventh in the NBA by that particular metric. So I think with Giannis, the team success, the Bucks have been statistically the best team in the NBA this season. He of course has been a huge part of that and now to be clear I'm not saying that Giannis Anacupo is the best player in the NBA I think we're seeing more and more of a divergence between regular season value and just who the best player is especially in a playoff setting and Giannis's weakness in his game the jump shot in particular is something that the Bucks are going to have to grapple with as they get into the playoffs but I think in terms of regular season value I do still have Giannis above Harden although Harden certainly has made a, a fantastic push um and and I would say that those two guys to Mier a cut above the rest of the candidates. Would you agree with that uh, or would you have someone else really in legitimate discussion for the number one slot?
1: So for me I, I guess considering I have AD second right now, I would have him in conversation for the number one slot. So yeah, for me it'd be Giannis AD and Harden. Oh. And the big difference so is... you have Harden below AD. What, I what's do. the reason for that? I mean, defensive value is a big part of it. And, and a lot of what is ailing you know, I'm somebody who argued this is going to a different sport, but argued that Anthony, that Alex Rodriguez should win the MVP in the year that the, I think the Rangers finished last. They definitely finished below 500 just because the rest of the team was so awful without him that it is still value added. And with Davis, I mean, he's a, a defensive player of the year candidate. He is an incredibly efficient offensive player. I mean, if you want to bring back RPM also, he's I think he's second in both R- R- PIPM and RPM. And Harden is a better offensive player, obviously. We'll, we'll get to his case in a second. But I just think the margin between those two on that end, even though offense is more important to defense, defense to me is just not quite enough overall so it's close like for me though that was the hardest separation in the entire top five was between those two guys but for right now i'm still going with ad
0: who would you say has the better has had the better supporting cast this year considering injuries ad or Harden?
1: it's closer than i think a lot of people would think just because the rockets you know losing a couple of their best players but also i think you can add like system and coaching support and all that stuff ah i mean capella's been worse but he's still a very talented player And I think the biggest difference for me, though, is that the the Rockets can put out five-man lineups that are, like, overall competent, whereas... Whereas the Pelicans just have some of these that are just, they they just don't like they're playing Tim Frazier or they're playing any number of other guys. Like when, when an Alfred Payton injury sinks your team or is a significant detriment and Payton, they got him for the biannual exception. I think, I think that that's why I would say that Harden's supporting cast is better though. I will certainly entertain arguments the other way because Drew holiday has been better than anybody on the Rockets.
0: Yeah. I think that's pretty clear, but supporting your argument, the Pels with AD on the floor, on a four net rating and the Rockets with Harden about a two net rating. And part of why the Pels uh, are in such trouble right now is they've just been very, very uh, unlucky. Uh, but, you know, Harden's uh, ability at the end of games compared to Davis's, I think, is something that goes in his favor as well.
1: Oh, wait, can I throw I in one actually, crazy yeah, one crazy non-AD stat? Using cleaning the glasses metric, which takes out garbage time, the Pelicans have a 116.8 defensive rating when Davis is off the floor. That is truly incredible.
0: What is it with him on, like, 108?
1: Yeah, I think it's some somewhere in that range.
0: So, I actually don't even have AD third. Interesting. I have Kevin Durant. Kevin I, Durant. Is third,
1: I have him third. fourth.
0: Yeah. I think he's having a very underrated season. Uh, he's fallen into the shadows a little bit with the return of Curry. But uh, unlike last year, the offense did not drop off that much without Curry. They found great ways to use him. He's number two, as I mentioned, in PIPM. And interestingly enough, down at 11th in RPM, Durant doesn't have much defensive value at this point in time. He'll have some moments uh, during the regular season, but overall, it really waxes and wanes. Pretty much all the data that we have indicates that they're no better defensively with him uh, on the floor. Um, But I think he still has been the biggest driving force on one of the best teams in basketball and still a better overall player than AD as well. And I I would, when there's a tie, I do default to that to some degree here. Uh, And I would actually say he's a better overall player than James Harden and Giannis as well at, at this point in time, but not to spoil our top 10 players, which of course could change things. Um, who'd you have at four? You had KD at four. Yeah, so uh, I, w-
1: I went Giannis, AD, Harden, Durant. I agree with a lot of what you said about Durant. I also, I'm just because of the the difference in his role when he plays with and without Stephen Curry. I think this for both of us is the highest Durant will be in the MVP rankings this season. Just I think yes. he'll he'll fall back, which is which is unfortunate, but that's what this is. This is a moment in time. And then my fifth is Steph Curry. I think Curry per minute, you know, you could make an argument that he's having a better season than Durant, but he, he has missed more time than any of the other players in my top 4 that matters for MVP. I am very upfront about not including that as much in all NBA, but for MVP it's value. You're on the 4 versus you're not on the 4. He is actually I mean his true shooting is 66% true shooting, which is completely ridiculous. And so one thing I wanted to talk with you about is I feel that when you because you're comp- if you're comparing the offensive value arguments for Curry and Harden, that Curry is hurt by in, in this context in the MVP context by Kerr's egalitarian approach because even though he is a an incredible offensive player he just has less onus on him he has less on his shoulders than harden and since because of that you know his usage is way lower his assist rate is way lower and so whether it's it's probably a good thing you know overall except for maybe certain moments in the playoffs but i think it does hurt curry's mvp argument that the system is more balanced yeah
0: and one thing that would support that zach Lowe had this stat the other day that curry is running fewer pick and rolls than ever basically which is a surprise given the lack of options that the Warriors have had this year compared to past years and also Curry has not had quite the same on-off performance as he has in previous years uh, particularly with the offense and you know usually he's right up there at the top in offensive RPM that hasn't really been the case uh, this year Uh, he's at four which is but you know pretty much in line with some other guys usually he's either one or two with Harden it's basically been the case for the last uh, few years Uh, and then PIPM yeah again he's kind of more in the in the five range and then when you consider the fact that he's missed as much time as he has you know I didn't consider him that seriously for MVP at this point in time but the man that I did consider very seriously at least for the fifth spot was Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving is having a very underrated season and I think he's really suffered from this is one of those times when the early storyline of the season takes hold right he struggled probably the first seven or eight games and since then he's been unbelievable so he is number two in offensive rpm right now number five overall in rpm 9.1 net rating and he's played just about every game and they have a 113 offensive rating with him on the court i mean he's just been absolutely awesome um but there's really i mean the amount of depth right now i mean this was such a struggle for four through maybe even seven it was just splitting absolute hairs i mean between you've got but... Probably three consensus top seven players in Curry, LeBron, and Kawhi. Kawhi, I think, would be right up there too, but he's missed a little bit too much time. And then between Lillard, Paul George, and Jokic, you've got other guys who haven't proven that they're at that same level yet, but who are just having unbelievable seasons and have stayed healthy all year. So it is really just, uh, and we haven't had probably any top 10 players in the league with a significant injury. I mean, I think Curry has missed the most time of any of these guys. So maybe you could say Chris Paul would be the other one, but I'm not quite going to put him in that category anymore. So it's really just an incredibly deep feel and that's why this has been such a, an awesome season.
1: Yeah, the health is an important thing to bring up here and with some players I mean maybe not necessarily in the MVP candidacy but in terms of all NBA if they can continue it they're they're really going to move into a different part of the conversation and Kyrie's an interesting one. He was one that I considered he will have a, a strong spot on my all NBA teams because so much of what has ailed the Celtics is not Kyrie Irving and I think a lot of times this is similar to the argument I made about Anthony Davis. We demerit star players because their team is not performing to expectations and I mean Boston they're they're getting into the you know they're they're right up there now but I mean with Sky High Things it's like oh look they you know with best teams in the Eastern Conference last year missed Kyrie for a bunch of time missed Gordon Hayward for the whole year basically they're going in there and so you thought oh they're going to be number one by a, by a long shot and they're not but they've been spectacular when Kyrie's been on the floor and he is their best offensive player their offense has been, has been great their offense is at I think like a 101 one, something like that when he's not on the floor, that is not Kyrie Irving's fault at all. So yeah, I I don't have much opposition. He was one that I considered along with Curry. Part of, this is going into something that you often say. I just think Curry's a better player overall, and so you know I'm sure. going to use I'm going to kind of use that as a tiebreaker, especially because those two guys are similar. You know they they play the same position. They have not the same but similar offensive roles. And yeah, it, it is a very deep field, and we'll see where it moves. I think that we are going to see some big shifts over the next month, and then. February is going to be all weird because of the All-Star Break and other stuff and trade deadline and everything else. But I'm really excited to see how much movement there is in this because I think it's so fluid for me with the top three, for you with the top two, and then everything beyond that, it's gonna be exciting.
0: Yeah, Kawhi Leonard, one thing I wanted to note on him, and the numbers reflect this to some degree. I think he slipped a little bit on defense. One on one, he's probably just about as good, but this is usually the age that perimeter guys start to lose it a little bit defensively. And I've just seen a lot more defensive mistakes from him, just giving up back doors. fortunately Greg Popovich is in his coach, so he doesn't have to miss nine minutes every time he gives up a back door. Uh, or times when he's just lost his man, or, or there's been a bunch of miscommunications involving him on switches and stuff. So I think he's taken a little bit of a step back defensively this season. Um, before we get to first team All-NBA, Danny, what do our listeners get when they subscribe to our Patreon?
1: The headliner for most people is probably our subscriber mailbags. It is a exclusive podcast, not only in terms of the podcast itself, but also in terms of asking the questions, and that means that subscribers have a far better chance of getting our getting questions answered and often answered in in extreme depth because we enjoy doing that. Like not on the most recent one, but the one before, we had multiple ten plus minute answers, and if that's what it takes to answer the question, we're going to do that. Beyond that, we're getting closer to the trade deadline, and that means salary sheets are becoming more important. Great work on those as well, especially you know right as transactions happen. It can take some time. I'm really Impressed. I'm usually not super involved in that, but I'm impressed with how well turn them out. And then going to try to get more of Danny's story time, which is audio versions of my pieces, and then whatever else we can think up. So that's airport AMAs. I like to do that when I'm traveling. So that's answering questions. You know, kind of more spur of the moment, odds and ends, and all that. And it's also a great way to support our other endeavors, most notably the NBA Cast, because at the moment that is not ad supported.
0: All right, first team all NBA here. Should we just? Go, how do we do this again? Well, we go through go through the guards. Yeah, we can, we can do that and then the mine is kind of easy
1: because my my first team is all my top five for mv for for mvp but yeah let's go through let's get to, let's do a, the the proper format anyway so that's guard let's do guards then forwards and centers or if you want to change the order we can change the order
0: yeah all right let's start with guards first that's an interesting one uh you have hardened and curry yeah I presume? and you have
1: and you have As Harden and Kyrie I presume?
0: Yes. Yeah, I mean I, I still think Curry is better than Kyrie, uh, but just again with Curry having missed time it, it was and just you know Kyrie actually being better than Curry in the on-off metrics this season. I mean think back to when Kyrie that was like the big argument against him, right? When he was playing with LeBron and that's just completely turned around since he got to Boston. He deserves a ton of credit too for no longer being a defensive liability in the regular season. He's made amazing strides there. Um, I think he has kind of felt like, well, if I'm going to actually lead this team, I'm going to have to, like, you know, fortify my own house so it's not all made out of glass before I can demand accountability from others. Uh, and then second team, I thought it was pretty clear to me again. Uh, Damian Lillard and Steph Curry. I assume you're Lillard and Kyrie.
1: I am. And and Lillard's season, I think, is a little bit underappreciated just because we talked about it's a little bit in the p- players we wanted to see traded thing that the the Blazers are so much of what we expected, but Lillard. Has been absolutely fabulous overall this season, and yeah, I think he's been the fourth best guard by a pretty significant margin. I had, you know, and part of that is also because a guy who he was in competition with, who I think I actually had above Lillard I can't remember for sure. Last month is Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker has not been nearly as good as Kyrie during December, so that made it an, an easier differentiation line for me, and it was easy.
0: Yeah, but to be still uh, on third team, Kemba Walker is a very clear choice. I, I think there's Agreed. a pretty big drop off off after him uh, on the guard line uh so then who did you have as your third team your second third team all nba guard oh,
1: i went through a lot of different guys here i mean there's certainly a good argument for kyle lowry i think he was probably my toughest omission but i ended up going with mike conley he's having a really nice year and this is another one of those the team falls apart offensively when he's not on the floor that's not Mike conley's fault and defensively he's been you know guard defense isn't the most important thing in the world but he has been a part of some successful units there i also considered Drew Holiday. I considered I, Jimmy Butler's positional definition. It didn't matter as much because there were just better candidates for me, but I guess theoretically I considered him as well.
0: Yeah, I did in fact go uh, with Kyle Lowry, although the fact that he's missed time is a concern. You know, I, I, Conley is certainly up there. I, I probably gave a little bit of short shrift to his candidacy, especially with Memphis having gone 6-14 and 14 over their last 20 games, but it, you're right. You know, I think a lot of that's been their struggles with him uh, off the floor, but I did go with, with Kyle Lowry despite the fact that he's missed a a fair amount of time. I think, you know, especially how good the Raptors have been with him and then how much they've struggled offensively without him is also of note to me. And he also has a a very good history of playing at an All-NBA level. I mean, and worth noting, even as far as Lowry missing time, he's actually played more minutes than Steph Curry, even after missing all these games recently with the back injury. He still played over a thousand minutes. Uh, uh, Some quick words on some of the other guard candidates. DeMar DeRozan, just not really there from an advanced statistical standpoint, 107th in PIPM. I think he's 41st in RPM. The defense uh, has been a struggle. The Spurs are playing a lot better, but a lot of that has been their bench just killing it. You know, He actually has one of the lower net ratings on the team. So he wasn't really in a ton of consideration for me. Victor Oladipo, a little bit less efficient this season. He's come on some lately, but he missed it nearly a month of time as well. So another guy that I actually have as a guard this year, we talked about him as a forward last year, but there's really, with their... Starting lineup, he clearly is the point guard this year, and that's Ben Simmons. Um, he he and Conley would be my two toughest omissions on the guard line. I'd say,
1: yeah, I had I didn't have Simmons in that same group, but yeah, putting him in in a box positionally is tough because his assignments change around all the time. His offensive role is, is the primary ball handler, so it's I, I'm fine with putting him in the guard line, but he he wouldn't have been better than Conley. Yeah, he's having yeah. a nice year.
0: Yeah, and Butler Butler has played pretty much exclusively as a forward, so I didn't really consider. him him uh, as a guard in Philly. And his stats in Philly have not been a, amazing so far. Uh, Alright, let's talk forwards here.
1: So the, the first line here is is not particularly hard. Giannis is my number one for MVP, and while the two things are different, that's not a big difference. And then Durant, I think, has been the best of the remaining guys, so, so he is my you know, I had him fourth in MVP, you had him third. He's having a wonderful offensive season, and defensively, he's not a huge plus, but very few of the other guys we're going to talk about are really, I hate to use the tr- Term, but two way players. But so then you look more on the offensive side. He's been wonderful on that end. Do you want me to move on to second team? Because I don't think you have much argument there.
0: Yeah, no, no. Those are the two that I had as well.
1: So then when you get to second team, there is a very good argument, and is I would and I would agree with it that Paul George has been better and materially better than LeBron James this year. And it also doesn't necessarily matter because I don't think Paul George has been better than Durant and Giannis. So he's second team either way. But so my two are Paul George and LeBron. LeBron has been a strong offensive player for the Lakers this year. They They've been interesting in his absence, but I still think, you know, LeBron makes a big difference there. His defense is, you know, I think it's been better than it was last year, but it's still not a huge plus for him. But the offensive linchpin of a team coming at a forward spot is incredibly valuable. So my second team is Paul George and LeBron. And while there are other guys that are having good seasons, I didn't think it was particularly close out like LeBron versus anybody else that like Kawhi and numerous others. I didn't think that was a, a, a really hard fight.
0: I actually have George on the third team. I have Kawhi and LeBron. Uh, on the second team
1: is is that because you think Kawhi is a superior player i
0: think that's a a big part of it um you know i do think george has been better defensively than Kawhi this year but i think Kawhi is much better in terms of creating efficient offense for himself um george is probably they're probably about the same as passers maybe george is a little bit superior uh but Kawhi is just so much more of a threat getting to the basket than george is much better as an iso guy using his size and strength um so it was very close to me. I did agonize about potentially having george ahead of both Kawhi and lebron but i ended up just defaulting to the guys that i thought were the best when i when i think it's a very close between those guys that's why i I went in that direction but and Kawhi has missed some time lebron has missed some time now george hasn't missed as much and lebron it's only like four games or something which is nothing in today's league um so that's who i had for second team third team i did go with george and then i'm I'm very curious to know who uh, i assume Kawhi was your one of your your third team guys?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he was th- he was the next guy on my list. I shouldn't have said that it was as easy to call as it was. I'd forgotten about the agonizing for a period of time over Paul George and Kawhi, but I just think George is having the better season for right now. I agree with you that I still think Kawhi is a superior player, especially in the playoffs. But he's there, and then yeah, that last spot. There are a lot of there are guys that are having good years, and so you're sitting there going, Oh, you know, you're, you you go that way. I mean, for me, Gallinari is is an interesting one. I mean, statistically, especially offensively, which is you know to me the more important side of the ball. He's having a, a, a wonderful season, but I am I guess I'm cribbing an argument that you often make with this specific player, but what Blake Griffin has done with the supporting kind of the supporting cast that he has is really impressive to me. And yeah, you know, the Pistons are, you know, kind of in a way like Damian Lillard's situation, the Pistons overall are kind of uninspiring, but he has to do so much shot creation for that team when Reggie's there or when Reggie's not there. They just have a lot, a lot for him to do and they have a lot of shooting problems, you know, overall with their team still working through the flow new new head coach and all that so i just think blake has the he has the best case though if I were allowed to like move a center over or something like that I might consider that I, I, I'm I, going with forwards and so for me Blake has been the sixth best forward this season. Yeah I went well with
0: Blake as well we are not in much conflict here surprisingly enough and the three point shooting has held up for Griffin still at 36% on some pretty difficult attempts 58% true shooting that's totally solid as well I mean it's not amazing in the on off metrics but the Pistons have had a really weird year where their bench with Ish Smith was awesome and now It's been terrible without Smith when they've had Jose Calderon and then some of their backup wings have really struggled as well. So uh, it's tough to make a lot out of the, the on-off stuff. I mean, among their starters, uh, Griffin uh, has the best numbers. And I also didn't find anyone else at, on the forward line particularly compelling at this point in time. I think Gallo, he's playing way above his head, you know, some unsustainable shooting, uh, but not a great defensive player. Chris Middleton has fallen off after a crazy hot start. Jimmy Butler, with between missed games and the Minnesota drama. Uh, I think if I had to say who's a better player between Butler and Griffin that would be a pretty difficult call probably Butler I would say Uh, but considering he torpedoed an entire team for like a whole month of the season I can't get on board with Butler and he's also uh, has been like uh, not even necessarily the second option in Philly you know between him Simmons and Reddick, they all have been kind of splitting that a little bit and his stats again in Philly haven't been great so I think Griffin I don't feel unbelievable about his season at this point in time but I think he's clearly been better than those guys below him and i think before we turn to centers i just want to say just look at these guys that we're talking about right for guards for forwards now granted there's two guards and two forwards in each team and only one center but you really do get a drop off after these top five or six guys on both at both of those positions and compare that now to center which is just an absolutely stacked position at this point in time which is hilarious because people were decrying the death of the center even less than five years ago and it might be the strongest or at least the deepest I should say yeah not the strongest but the deepest position in the NBA which of course has been backed up by a number of studies recently
1: and what's striking about that is a vast majority of those centers are not fours that have slid to the five you know like Anthony Davis is probably the most prominent he's my first team guy but outside of that I mean Joel Embiid, Nurkic, Gobert Marcus, Brooke Lopez like a, a lot of the top players at the position are only centers and have only been centers so this isn't a circumstance of you know over overflowing and, and getting the benefit from that this is just a lot of really good seven footers or near seven footers
0: yeah and to that and ad was my first team guy i assume that was the case uh, as well who did you go with for second team all nba
1: so my choice was really between Nikola jokic and joel Embiid, and it's tough because i mean jokic is having a superior offensive season. I don't think there's much to argue about there. And then you're wondering, the you know,
0: superior offensive season to Embiid.
1: Yeah, I believe so. Just in terms of also not necessarily as a scorer, but just as an overall creator, the, what he has to do in the Denver offense, especially as they've handled all these injuries. <sighs> is I,
0: real- I mean, I, I think there's an argument either way. Like, I don't think that's not clear to me at all. I mean, like Joel Embiid's averaging, what is what is the average like 28 a game and doing it pretty efficiently. Is like that, that's uh, uh, 37.6 points per one. 100
1: possessions okay
0: this is what I'm looking at right now which is I and mean, that's right up there among the best scoring rates in the NBA I mean that's right up there with Steph Curry I mean really the only guy significantly above him is Harden at 45 points for 100 possessions
1: yeah and if we're if we're yeah, looking so, at it as a score I mean Embiid has been more efficient on higher usage which is always important and for, for me really what it is though is that I mean Jokic just his being the hub of that entire offense to me like and, and Embiid has a larger offensive role than a lot of centers but that's big there. And then also Jokic, I think, has been, while he, to me, does not have the defensive tools of Joel Embiid, he has been an under, not underappreciated, he's been an important part of Denver's defensive success this year. And I've been really impressed. Maybe I'm giving him an unfair boost, but I'm giving him a boost because they were better than I expected when Millsap was out. So it's like, okay, you know, you're doing this. Philly has a lot of defensive talent. They did before and after the trade. It's different. You know, I, I love Forever Covington for this team. They don't obviously don't have him anymore. So yeah, I I I think it's not, necessarily that Jokic is a materially offensive superior offensive player it's that I value you know degree of difficulty argument I think what he's doing is incredibly challenging and is more important for Denver than what Embiid is doing even though Embiid is a spectacular player overall of course
0: yeah and Jokic certainly has the argument with the the on offsets fourth overall in RPM. His offensive RPM is just nasty. 4.21. That is better than the second best guy by over two points. The second best guy is Vucevic, and then Embiid is 3rd Carl Karl-Anthony Towns is fourth in that metric. Only 11 centers, by the way, are above zero well, in offensive RPM.
1: Beyond that, Jokic, if we're using RPM, Jokic is sixth in the entire league in offensive RPM ahead of guys like Durant and LeBron, which is pretty impressive. Yeah no
0: and I think Embiid has the box score stats although again Jokic's assists like how do you account for that as the best passing center of all time so it's really neck and neck between those guys I mean the Sixers offense has been very good since uh, Jimmy Butler arrived and Embiid has been a big part of that I do still think that despite the numbers Embiid is the superior defensive player to Jokic but that gap has narrowed some with Embiid taking a step back defensively this year Jokic uh, taking a major step forward so yeah this was like Neck and neck, Jokic was my third team. You had Jokic second team then and Embiid third team? Yes, I did. Yeah, I mean, and, and I don't really have an unbelievable argument for why I have Embiid second team and, and Jokic third
1: team. No, I mean, and, and it uh, really but, is those two guys. Marcus All was... Came on huge at the beginning of the season, but he's not there. And while the position is deep, I do think there's a line of separation between AD Jokic and Embiid and everyone else.
0: Though, the, yeah, yeah, I mean, Carl Anthony Towns has improved a lot since that awful first month. Yes, of the season. he could I mean, get there with Butler. I mean, yeah, yeah. Gobert. I mean, there's. I mean, think of all the guys who who are at this position. I mean, Gobert, he's come on. Utah's defense has been getting a lot better. Vucevic. I mean, he's he's dropped off, but not a ton uh, certainly. And I think you know Gasol still has been very effective. LaMarcus Aldridge, he was, you could maybe quibble and call him a forward more this year, but uh, he was at under 50% true shooting when we did this last month. And now he's all the way up to 55%. He's at a ridiculous December. Uh, So yeah, a lot of really good centers uh, this season. Uh, But despite that, again, I'm very underwhelmed by this defensive player of the year field. There really has not been anyone who uh, has emerged to me.
1: So I think a big part of the problem is that I'm just not there on some of the important players on the best defenses so far. I had the same pr- kind of problem last year with the Celtics. So, for example, like Stephen Adams or Paul George, Miles Turner on the Pacers. Like, I'm not saying those guys are, are bad defenders or anything like that. I, I just, I'm not all the way in on their candidacy yet. I Maybe I just need yeah, to see I, more. I mean, Turner's
0: Turner's numbers uh, in terms of the on-off metrics are about as good as it gets among guys who are realistic hands. I mean, defensive RPM. Uh, yeah, DeAndre Jordan and Hassan Whiteside being <laughs> <laughs> uh, number one and two i think uh you know let, let's not put too much stock in this stat here I mean, De- deandre jordan in particular that's just a, a pretty ridiculous um but yeah and so Turner I mean I've watched a lot more pacers really tried to hone in on his defense and he has made some big strides but he just hasn't quite been at that level for long enough yet um you know maybe at the end of the year if no one else emerges his candidacy will, will be a little bit more serious but I, I just I mean this is why we don't do our all defense teams I mean you really just kind of need more time on defense to a let the stats mean something and b just to really watch a guy play at that level I mean I can watch as many pacers get games as I can, but you know I'm probably going to have only seen 10 Pacers games so far this year. So I want to see a little bit more from him. But he, he's been, been awesome. Um, who else was just in the mix for you before you reveal who you had selected?
1: I think Paul George is the best perim- has been the best perimeter defender in the league this year. And that person will always get consideration for me. They often don't win, but he has been wonderful and integral part of yeah. what Oklahoma City's done.
0: I talked on the 15 and six. Yeah, there is always the value over replacement uh, argument right. for a guy. Like right,
1: that. and I think he's been materially better than Kawhi, even if Kawhi has arguably better tools. I mean, George has been spectacular overall this year and deserves all those accolades. He he got serious consideration for me, and even though you know Utah has disappointed this year, I think Gobert. You know his numbers aren't actually as robust as last year. I the eve's block rates a little bit down. You know is the uh, contested field goal percentage I think is a little bit stronger, which actually means it's a little bit worse room protecting numbers. It's still strong. I mean he's still Rudy Gobert. Uh, but i'll just go straight into my my choice and i was very surprised by it. it was not the player that i expected but i had to do some digging and my answer is draymond green and the reason why is because this is going to you've heard this already in this podcast the warriors defense has disappointed overall this year but his defense has not and the warriors defense with him on the floor has not it has been basically everything else that has fallen off and he kind of bridges a few of the gaps where he's especially this year i mean because he's playing some center but mostly at the four he does rim protection. He does help defense. He does, you know, some some elements of switching as well. And I did not expect him to be number one. I do not think this is Draymond's Green, Draymond Green's best defensive season. But I think right now, he's the strongest of a weak field.
0: Yeah, if he'd played more, he would be my pick uh, as well. Uh, but he, he uh, just has missed too much time uh, for me at this point in time. I mean, I think if everyone just plays the rest of the season at their current rates, I probably would have Draymond at the end. Gobert's numbers are interesting. i cleaning the glass. The last three years, uh, opponents have taken 6% fewer of their shots at the rim when Gobert has been on the floor than off. And that's almost exactly the same again this year. I was including this year in the the last three years. But for some reason this year, opponents have shot 4.1% better just in terms of their accuracy at the rim, not the percentage of shots at the rim, with Gobert on the floor. Whereas in previous years, they've shot much worse at, at the rim. And so is that something changed about Gobert at this point? is he not as good of an actual shot blocker and intimidator as he used to be is that just luck that teams uh, are shooting better now uh, worth noting here that teams also shoot way worse from short mid-range against gobert uh 8.8 percent worse and that's a number that's been pretty high the last few years as well so he's able to affect shots from floater range in theory also Uh, And that hasn't gotten out. So I'm going to guess that that number has some randomness to it. Um, And again, I think it's a weak field. Gobert would be my number one right now. The Utah defense has come around. Uh, Turner. I just haven't seen quite enough from him yet. George, you know, that's, there's a lot of really good defensive players uh, on Oklahoma City. And, and as a perimeter guy, I can't quite give him as much credit there. So I did go with Gobert. I guess Draymond would be my number two. Who'd you have number two?
1: I had Gobert. I actually did a full write-up of Gobert as my number one. And then I started thinking about it more. I started doing more digging into Draymond and moved him up.
0: Yeah. And then I think we need a third guy here as well. I, I guess I would probably go with Turner at this point in I'll go, time. I'll go with Paul George, but, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, I will go with Paul George as well. Yeah, that's that's probably a smarter, smarter way to go. But Turner certainly could get into this conversation as more time goes on. Uh, Coach of the Year,
1: there are an interesting kind of collection of worthy candidates. This isn't a year where I would say I, I, my number one is going to win the award, so you have that going in there. But I have Mike Boonholzer. I mean, Boonholzer has totally transformed the Bucks. I think we're getting accustomed to it a little bit, but them being the best team in the league is remarkable. He has transformed their offense. And
0: yeah. it's not even close, by the way, they are 1.7 points per 100 better than OKC. And uh, I mean, they could even get to a 60 win level here. I mean, they're, they're expected one loss right now is 62 wins. Uh, they've won uh, one fewer game than expected so far. Uh, but I mean, yeah, they're the number one offense. And the number three defense was right now. And that's pretty incredible work.
1: So a couple other coaching jobs I wanted to bring up. One of them is Greg Popovich. I don't know how to apportion credit for what the hell is happening with their offense. And this year, San Antonio team they are for the overall season, they're fourth in offense, I think 21st in defense. So usually we attribute more to the coaches on the defensive end. They have pretty awful defensive personnel overall with DeJounte being out for the year. I still can't figure out the Spurs, but when I can't figure things out, I'm going to probably end up giving the coach some of the credit. Some of the other great jobs, Doc Rivers, I think is doing a really, a really good job overall with the Clippers, figuring out how to use this combination of of players, empowering Shea to, to fit in with this, I think is a really important job. And then two others, Nick Nurse, Raptors, disparate pieces, kind of changing certain elements from what Dwayne Casey did and keeping their bench and Pascal Siakam's, of course, having a great year. And then Brad Stevens, the Celtics are figuring it out. And he also has been bold enough to make some changes when things were working, and I think that's really helped the Celtics too.
0: Yeah, Stevens, I couldn't really consider him with Boston playing a little bit below expectations. How much of that's his fault is hard to say, but I think there is something to be said for a team that, in theory, has some guys who have the ability to get to the basket. I mean, Kyrie, Jalen Braun, Hayward, although you know he hasn't quite been himself, Tatum. I mean, these are guys who like can do, are talented players, and especially early on in the season, their inability to get to the basket is concerning, and I think he does deserve a little bit of blame there for not getting those pieces to work t- together in, a, in an offensive system i think also just the, the lack of guys rolling to the basket in his system as well it's harder to get buckets at the rim that way when you just don't have a center going towards the basket they don't have amazing roll men but uh nonetheless so so stevens wasn't in it i had a list of seven guys Um, you did not mention, I don't think my number two guy, that's Mike Malone. Like what Denver has done over the, over the last month with all these injuries. I mean, how can you say, I mean, to me, he's like, he's not up there quite yet with bud. Uh, but he's a clear number two to me.
1: He slipped my mind. He is absolutely in that mix. For me.
0: Um, and
1: then, you
0: know, for third, I guess I had Doc Rivers. Billy Donovan is probably not getting enough credit this year uh, for uh, the Thunder defense. And, you know, I do think that his kind of inability to get through to Russ uh, has always been a, a problem uh, to get him to play a little bit more efficiently, although Russ is playing better defense uh, this year. Um, nurse, I agree. And then Rick Carlisle is a, another guy who, who I think it should be in this conversation. I have the Mavs uh, around 500 and then another guy you didn't mention uh, who is also in my top six Nate McMillan uh, with, the, with what the Pacers oh, yeah, are doing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I mean, I think, yeah, I think Stevens is a better coach than Nate McMillan, but it's difficult for me to say. I mean, don't the Pacers have a better record than the Celtics right now? It's pretty close if they don't. They do.
1: Yeah, it's 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 25 and 12 for the for the Pacers, 22 and 15 yeah, for the Celtics. So, I mean, yeah, and, and that's a good that's
0: point. To say, I mean, the Celtics have probably had more injury concerns than the Pacers have. But, I mean, if you're going to tell me that Nate McMillan has had more talent at his disposal than Brad Stevens, you know, that's simply not the case and the Pacers have been better and and the defensive mentality I mean if you look at all the guys who had terrible defensive histories that he's gotten to defend I mean Miles Turner has taken a big step forward Bogdanovich Tyreek Evans Darren Collison Oladipo really was a, kind of a theoretical defensive player until he showed up in Indiana I mean this is now offensively I, I'm not a huge fan of what he's done but defensively I mean it's been incredible what he's been able to get out of these guys Thad Young even you know was solid before but he's taken a major step forward in the end. I mean, every player on the roster has massively improved their defense and i think that's one of the things that's most under a coach's control
1: on that point the pacers also don't have ridiculous opponent shooting luck yeah as a a, a great explanation for their defense they're they're doing a wonderful job they're getting it out of players so yeah nick McBalen has done a really impressive job overall this season and yeah i i he's he's absolutely in this mix too and i still i don't know i don't know it, maybe it's just not fair that I'm still as skeptical about their defense I'm not as nearly as as much as I was last year but I mean yeah they have a lot of guys that outperformed and I I, I don't know if you mentioned him and all the guys but Sabonis has been way better defensively yeah, no,
0: too for me that's I mean we didn't really have much of a sample of Sabonis playing center before this but yeah so I, I mean I actually just talked myself into McMillan being third so I'm gonna I'm gonna move him up there for uh, posterity um rookie of the year I don't think we need to spend that much time on this one I think there's a very clear top three to me uh Luka Doncic number one Jaron Jackson junior number two, uh, DeAndre Aiden, number three. I don't don't think there's really anyone else that I would put in that mix at this point in
1: time. I mean, Bagley's box score stats are in the mix with some of these guys, but he's not nearly as good a defensive player as Jaron Jackson, and then he's not as good an offensive player as DeAndre Eaton. So, yeah, I mean for me, Luka is number one. Degree of difficulty is a big part of this. He is shouldering the offensive burden for Dallas, who is exceeding expectations, and I- I've been really impressed with what he has done overall this year. And I- I'm actually, this is this is a stat I pulled for this. Dallas has a better offensive rating with Luka on the floor than when he's not, and you might go, oh, well, you know, why why is that so impressive? And it's because Dallas' bench has annihilated teams over the last few years, including this year. And so for them to be better offensively during the starters' minutes is is something that I think is notable.
0: Yeah, and again, I mean, worth noting here just how bad rookies are generally. I mean, to be positively contributing on a winning team as the main offensive guy, I mean, that is, there's not many players that you can say that about in the last few years. Uh, and maybe you could say that about Donovan Mitchell last year, Simmons, but those guys are, you know, were two years older than Luka. And those both of those guys, I mean, now part of it is he's come to a a team that maybe was underperforming a a little bit. They got some free agent reinforcements. But yeah, I mean, what Luke is doing has been really impressive. And then even Jaron Jackson as well. Again, contributing positively on a winning team. You just don't see that for rookies. You got part of that is getting drafted into the right team that actually can be better. You know, obviously, Memphis wasn't as bad as, you know, number four overall pick would indicate, but those two to me. And then Ayton, the on off metrics have not been particularly kind to him. Um, The net rating when he's on the floor is a lot better. But if you dig deeper into the stats, for example, player impact plus minus, Has DeAndre Eaton 50th among rookies? And negative zero point seven three defensive player impact plus minus. I mean that's any center being below zero is really really bad. Uh, and then offensively, it's got him at about neutral. Certainly, he's put up very very good efficiency for a rookie his age, and that's why despite his lack of positive on off impact, he's a clear third to me. And there's just really nobody else that's even. I mean, is there anyone else that you could even talk about other than him for number three? I, I don't think so.
1: No, not really. And I I want to go through just. So we have it out there. Aiton's counting stats. I said he was going to be a counting stats beast this yeah. year. That has, he's, he's been,
0: been like pretty much what I I mean. I think if anything, he's been a little better offensively, especially with his touch around the rim and probably yeah. worse defensively, I would say, even than I thought he would be.
1: I, I think he's been yeah. about what I expected defensively, but I was a little higher on him than you were. And so Aiton, 17 points, 11 rebounds, a block, a little less than a steal, 2.2 assists, PER of twenty two point four four, which leads rookies. Usage twenty point six is lower than Jackson and Doncic, which is interesting. And he has assist rate is higher than Jaren's, but obviously lower than Doncic's. And yeah, so I mean, Aiden's having he's having a year like we expected. I think that the big difference has been that Luke has been great, and Jaren has gotten a larger opportunity to shine. And so yeah, I would I would go one I would go one two three in the same order as you. Though I think I probably have Aiden is closer to Jaren more because I, I think you price in a little bit more about who is a the better player or better moving forward but still that's it's the same order so i think we're we're kind of splitting hairs there who
0: would your number four be bagley if you had to pick one bagley or carter
1: yeah probably I would love to see if he plays more. He's not there yet, obviously, but see where where Kuruk's ends up. I've been really excited by what he's done so far, but he's not there yet.
0: All right, last one here. Sixth man of the year. I have a surprise winner of this that I will uh, not reveal it quite yet, so I'll let you go first here.
1: Okay, so I'll go go from four to one. This is a loaded field, partially because big men put up ridiculous efficiency stats, and that is a a, a consideration, and when we're talking non-starters, sometimes defense can fall by the wayside a little bit, especially by point of comparison. So my number four is Spencer Dinwiddie. He is not the RPM king he was last year, but he's still 15th in the whole league. His offensive RPM is still 15th in the whole league. He's done a nice job often closing games for the Brooklyn Nets, which is another thing that I think helps any sixth man's argument is that they're good enough to play in closing minutes. Number three is Valanchunas. I think Valanchunas has an argument to be anywhere from one to three. Those guys are all, you know, efficient center type guys. And he's done, done a nice job. I've also this doesn't count for six man of the year voting, but I've been very impressed with his willingness to accept that change in role. I think that's been very important for the Raptors this this season and more importantly will be in the playoffs. Then two is DeMontis Savonis, efficiency monster, better defensively. I also love his game, but my number one is the same guy I had last time. Montrezl Harrell, their best center, closes games for them, should be playing more, but I mean, he's still playing plenty and 25 PER, you know, has his defensive foibles, but a wonderful player.
0: I went with Dinwiddie number one. Yeah. Uh, and I just
1: I think that I'm fine what with he's that. Doing, totally I, fine with I that. Mean,
0: just this list of guys. I mean, look at Bellanchunis, Julius Randle, Harrell, Sabonis. It's not that hard, it seems like, especially as a bench center, to put up just like massive stats like this. Um, Dinwiddie is actually number one in the NBA in minutes off the bench. Sixty percent true shooting, twenty-five percent usage. I mean, he's probably the best offensive player on the Nets, a Nets team that has been playing very well. He closes every game as the main guy. Guy, which you know i don't think you can really say that about anyone else i mean maybe you could say lou williams um who's come on and i think will be a part of this discussion by the end of the year i did have harold number two um very interesting actually that dinwiddie is really good in rpm and terrible in pipm so maybe there's a, some luck involved in how well they're playing with him on the floor but just uh, just watching the guy i mean i think if i had to pick what player who's a sixth man would i most want to have on my team he would probably be it do, do you uh feel differently would you pick someone else besides him
1: off the top of my head I mean at least of the candidates that we've talked about I would pick him and also some of that is positional value I mean look at how many centers there are and then at, at lead guard there just aren't as many guys and getting players who can create that's also why I think Dinwiddie should be starting but he isn't starting and so yeah he ag- again it's I I, pr- I probably just need to recalibrate a little bit for six minute of the year because I've talked about this in, in other areas to degree of difficulty and all that kind of stuff and yeah especially because I haven't I don't have the statistical rigor or back background in it to get into this but it does feel like big men are over their their stats are very well represented in things like per in particular yeah. and so the, the maybe replacement
0: that level the replacement level is uh is much higher for big men i think i think yes
1: yeah. so then so yeah that that is a good argument and six man of the year i think you can get into the idea of positional value a little bit more just because that it does matter
0: Yeah, and I think because, you know, it's actually, to me, easier to compare stats of guys, you know, for, say, MVP than sixth man because the difference just with the nature of the way talent is distributed, the differences between players, you know, one through 10 are going to be greater than, you know, the differences between players. I don't know, like 40 through 70 or something in the NBA or 40 through 80. Um, Because these guys are all coming off the bench, right? If they really were that good, they would be starting. So there's a cap on how good they are. And so I think statistically it's really difficult to me to differentiate it between these guys that well. And so like I did with Andre Iguodala when I voted him six man, two years in a row, Uh well, I, I shouldn't say voted because uh, nobody actually listens to me. Uh, as far as the official voting, and uh, I don't appear to be on track to getting a, an official vote. Uh, Todd Gibson back in 2014 as well. I mean, I think when I just look at it, like, hey, who do I, would I most want to have on my team of, among players who comes off the bench? Uh, I think it's pretty clear that it's in. Really. And I think even if you look at some of the contracts here among these guys, you know, he's probably got one of the more lucrative contracts among all these players I mean some of these guys Are on rookie deals uh, But you know, Other than Valanchunas Who kind of signed his As a rookie extension Back when centers Were more valuable I mean I think I mean, Larry Nance Would be up there too That's insane that Larry Nance Has more guaranteed money Coming in than Spencer Dinwiddie um, So yeah I mean I think that If you look at just Where they are contractually Dinwiddie is probably Valued the most uh, By the league here as well I mean Kelly Olenek Is in that conversation Or Plumley, But you know I mean I don't think either of Those guys are Nearly as good Um, Another guy I want to talk about a little bit is uh, Marcus Morris. Who, bear, who technically qualifies. He started 17 of 34 games. He's just having a wonderful season, 64% true shooting. Uh, but, you know, a lot of that has been him damage done in the starting lineup. I'm guessing by the end of the year, he will not qualify anymore. But I mean, this is a very deep field. Another guy I think we really need to keep an eye on here is uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, who you know probably should be starting. But uh, again, I mean, I think Yeah, he's, an-
1: another guy who shouldn't be eligible, but is.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, he's, he's another one of those guys where I look at, Hey, you know, who would I rather have on my team? Uh, he would be right up there in that consideration. Uh, Marcus Smart is another one. He's started 17 of 37 games so far, so he's eligible. And then, I mean, not really in serious consideration, but deserves to be discussed. Jeff Green has 62% true shooting, and he's played the eighth, eighth most minutes of six man candidates this year.
1: Good on you, Jeff Green.
0: Um, did you have Derek Rose in yours? I, he was actually my number three, uh, although I think he's probably in danger of falling out at, at some point soon here.
1: I think he would have been, I didn't have him. He was in the mix with Morris for just outside of my life.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, there's so many good qualified candidates here. Um, all right. Anything else we got to talk about here? Or
1: are we uh, ready to go? Well, I will mention that I recorded and it will be released hopefully in time for people to listen to it on Friday. My podcast for Real Jam Radio with Carol Lawson was a really fun conversation. We went all over the board from her playing time to still doing the announcing and analysis for women's basketball, men's basketball, how that informs each of them. It's a great conversation, and that'll be out for Real Gym Radio on Friday, hopefully. All
0: right, thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back 15 and 60 in the East. Send uh, me your mailbag questions uh, on Twitter. Uh, Liam's going to tweet a couple of those out, uh, prompts for that, so please uh, respond there, and uh, we'll talk to you all on Sunday. Till then.